Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word of the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, welcome back uh, to the Sermon on the Mount. We are continuing in Matthew chapter 5, if you're following along in your Bibles. And we're going to be picking up in Matthew 5, verse 17 in just a minute. Uh, But Jesus has kind of, I don't know if we could say he's kind of finished the introduction (laughs) to the Sermon on the Mount in talking about the the character of people who want to be citizens in his kingdom and talking about their relationship to the world, that they need to be distinct from the world. They need to be salt, but they also need to be a light to the world. And, um, Jesus will kind of pivot here and turn to some more specific concerns, particularly for his day, um, but really timeless uh, principles about getting to the heart of different sins and different uh, things that we need to avoid. Yeah, one of the biggest things to see in this section is that Jesus has to address a group of people, the Jewish people who were familiar with the old law. So the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Bible. And there's going to be some perception on their part whenever they look at Jesus that maybe Jesus is trying to make out his law to be more superior or, or better or in some ways, you know, um, just all around better than everything else. And although that is true, they need to understand Jesus's purpose in bringing forth his law. And that's what Jesus is going to spend this next section trying to clear up for them. Uh, why is his law different and what, what makes it better? Um, so the way I like to put this, here's this new kingdom, but how does the new kingdom work with an old law? Um, and so Jesus will explain to us how all that works out in this section that we're going to read today and Lord willing in the next podcast. Yeah. And so one way to break the rest of chapter five down, if you're just glancing at it in your Bible, is verses 17 through 20 are going to be kind of an introduction where Jesus orients us and helps us. Okay, here's how we need to think about the law and what Jesus has come to do. He's come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And then he's going to give six different topics or categories of things. And there's going to be kind of this formula as we go through. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and again, there's going to be a big emphasis on the authority that Jesus has as the lawgiver in this section. He's not speaking like someone who is uh, subservient to the word. He's saying, I'm, I'm giving you the word. So this is a powerful section. But let's read uh, Matthew 5, uh, verses 17 through 20, this introduction section. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so Jesus here starts this section off by telling us that he came not to abolish the law or the prophets. Uh, He did not come to abolish, but to fulfill those things. 
And that almost sounds a little cryptic in some ways, a little confusing. Why is he having to say this? Um, but we won't go into a whole lot of detail on this. But it is important to note that Jesus has had quite a few run-ins with the Pharisees, I believe, up until this point. And specifically run-ins with them about the Sabbath and about different traditions. And so Jesus' teaching was pretty well known at this point. And so I think it's safe to say that many of the people there were wondering, what was the purpose of Jesus' teaching? Uh, from the sounds of it, it feels like he's just trying to abolish a law and set forth this new law. And Jesus is trying to clear up for them that it's not just wanting to abolish, but he's wanting to fulfill these things in his life, in his ministry, in his death, in his teaching, and in all these other ways. Yeah. And it would have been easy for them to listen to Jesus and get the wrong idea, like you mentioned, as what is Jesus doing? Is he just coming in and trying to tear down God's word given in the law of Moses? And Jesus is very careful to clarify from the get-go in this section, no, I am not here to destroy these things. I'm here to uphold. And really, in some ways, he's here to, to, to further clarify what God has been looking for all along with the Old Testament law. And I think there's a couple things here where he will actually give things that are even stricter than the Old Testament law. But he's really trying to get to the heart in all of these things. He's trying to get people to not just be outwardly religious like the Pharisees were being. They had gotten to a point in Jesus's day when it, at least that particular group, they were just like, uh, you know, they looked good on the outside, but they're rotten on the inside. Jesus will talk a lot more about that later in Matthew, particularly Matthew 23. But here he's saying, you guys, in my kingdom, it's not just about changing your outward behavior. It's about your heart. And I've come to fulfill the law by not only like upholding what these old law things have said, but by really making it even more specific and getting to the heart of the matter. Um, that's what Jesus always wants to do with his teaching is get to the heart. I really like this is another quote from a book written by a man named Paul Earnhardt called Invitation to a Spiritual Revolution. On this section, he says, it must be remembered that the ethical teachings of Jesus do not represent a radical departure from the law but are a natural extension of the two greatest commandments, which are first found in the law. You shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says that the great difference between the law and the gospel is not to be found in the respective ethical demands, but in the sacrificial death of the son of God. I just think that sums up really well what Jesus is trying to do here. He, his entire life, even to his death, is a fulfillment of what the law demanded and what it commands, starting with the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all those things. He never sinned, but he fulfilled the law perfectly through his life. And so that does give him the authority to lay down maybe some things we've not heard before and to explain the true meaning of the law itself as we see him about to do in the scripture. Because as verse 18 and verse 19 points out, Jesus obviously has a very high regard for the old law, doesn't he? I, I, don't, I don't think you can come away from that and say he doesn't respect the old law. He clearly does from what he says. That's right. And as we approach the Bible, if we're kind of new to the Bible, it's important to understand that there are two big covenants in the Bible. And when you open the Bible, starting in Genesis and going all the way through the Old Testament, through Malachi, it talks about God's covenant with the Jewish people, with Israel. 
and Jesus is coming and what's happening in the, the new law. I mean, Matthew is the first book in what we call the new Testament. Another way of saying that is the new covenant. And this section is showing that Jesus is fulfilling that old Testament, that old law, but he's establishing a new covenant. He's starting something new and the people that he's talking to don't even fully realize what he's doing here. But it helps us as Bible students because we can look back at that first law and see what God wanted from them then. And much of it is repeated here and said, and even expanded upon, like, this is what God really wants from us. But to realize the distinction there, that we're not under that first law, Jesus fulfilled it. And now he's giving his kingdom law. This is how you need to live if you're going to be in the kingdom of God. And again, for the people listening to Jesus, he, he finishes this section by saying, you, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders who are all about appearances, but not about the heart. And so he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, let me tell you about these different ways. Here's some examples of how you can be superficially religious, but not get to the heart. And here's how you need to change that. Another way I like to put that is Jesus is trying to explain to them what the checkbox mentality is, right? The, mm -hmm. I've checked the box. I've done the thing. I've not done this, but I have done this equal salvation. And that's really how the scribes and Pharisees were living their life. And in the section we're about to get into, Jesus exposes that. He says, okay, they might have been able to literally check the box. But if you were to just peek inside their hearts for just a second, this is what you would see. And that's what needs to be addressed. And it, man, isn't that true of so many of us? We, we, we just get so focused on checking the box, but we forget to look at the true intent of our heart as we do the thing. Um, which is why I think Jesus had to start with the Beatitudes, by the way. There's a lot of the pure in heart stuff that we talked about in whichever episode we talked about that in. Though that principle is going to apply in what Jesus is going to talk about here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, not only those who are willing to clean the outside of the cup, but those who are willing to clean the inside of the cup as well. Yeah. Well, if we hop into this first section, uh, Jesus will talk about murder and anger in this uh, first paragraph here. Yeah, let's read verses 21 through 26. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. He says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your, your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. So Jesus will set up kind of a repeating pattern that he's going to repeat in these uh, following sections. You've heard that it was said to those of old. And in this case, he has a partial quote from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And he, he does add, um, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment or liable to the court, I think the New American Standard says. And 
that's very true. But what Jesus is going to be doing in each of these sections is tracking sin to its layer. Um, he's not just going to look at the most extreme consequence or the extreme form of that sin, but he's going to be tracing, well, where does that sin really start? Before you kill somebody, before you murder somebody, where, where does that come from? It's not like you just wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, but Jesus is saying here, that, that starts in your heart. Let's, let's bring that back to the heart. What's, what's really going on that leads to that? And so he says here, um, but I say to you, and again, this is the formula. You've heard that it was said, and I'll quote something, and then, but I say to you, there's that authority of Jesus. And he says kind of three layers of things here. I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother, you're already liable to judgment. Um, whoever insults his brother or says, you know, you're good for nothing, uh, they'll be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And I'm not sure if Jesus is doing different intensities here, or is he's just saying, listen, you got to check your heart when you're already angry or frustrated with your brother. That's where you got to fight the battle. Don't wait until you're contemplating killing them right. to start changing. Yeah, no, and I know. And I love this section because it's almost sarcastic to me. It's like, well, well, you really think you're special just because you didn't murder somebody? That doesn't make you special. Um, you, you still thought it in your heart. And Jesus is saying it's the same thing um, without the action, obviously. It's still something that's going on inwardly that needs to be addressed. And to this point, I don't believe any of the Pharisees, any of the scribes of the day were preaching or teaching this kind of, this kind of teaching uh, that, that we need to surrender our thoughts and our heart to the king. We need to surrender them to God and truly make changes. Um, but I, I just love how Jesus is trying to play this out. You know, think about this. Does that really make you special just because you don't murder somebody? No. Master your heart. Think about it. And I think that it's also the mentality of, well, I, as long as I don't kill them, I can still hate them. I can, I can insult them. I can let things go on in my heart and with my words that are still damaging and Jesus is, again, he's tracking it back and saying, that's where you got to fight the battle. You got to start back here and not just wait till it grows. Because that's the nature of sin is when we let those thoughts fester in our hearts, when we say it with our words, that leads to more and more action. And so Jesus is saying, you've got to come back here and look at the heart. And I mean, Jesus says really, um, he, he brings it to a higher level. He says in verse 23, listen, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is not interested in a religiousness that is very careful to come and offer a sacrifice, but doesn't resolve anger issues with someone mm -hmm. else. If you've hurt somebody else, notice that the situation here is where you remember that your brother has something against you, like you've done something wrong. Don't just keep coming to the temple and offering your sacrifices like everything's cool. God doesn't want your offering until you're willing to reconcile with people and make right what you've done wrong against them. And I think he does use some hyperbole here. I mean, but he makes it extreme. Like imagine that you're like right about to offer, you know, your offering and you remember, oh man, I wronged that guy. I haven't made it right. He's like, just drop, <laughs> drop your sacrifice and go just leave your gift at the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother. 
and, and that gets to the heart of, again, what was happening is, well, as long as I keep going to church, as long as I keep paying my dues there, I don't really have to get along with people. I don't really have to change my heart. And Jesus saying, no, if you're not changing your heart, it's pointless. Just keep coming to the altar. And here's what I love about this section. And as well as the rest of the examples, Jesus is going to go through. um, And we'll talk about those in this podcast and in the next episode as well. When Jesus says, stop doing that, you know, not just murder, not, you know, master your heart. It doesn't just stop there. He takes it one step further. So instead of murdering, you need to be nurturing those relationships with other people. And he's going to do the same thing in just a second. Instead of committing adultery, you need to be one with your spouse and he'll give the necessary correction. It's not enough to just not do the thing. You need to take it another step further. You need to go and be reconciled with your brother. Um, because I think there's a, there might've been a lot of teachers out there saying, yeah, you don't need to murder. And yeah, maybe you don't even need to be angry in your heart at that person. Jesus takes it even further than that. He says, not only do you not need to be angry at that person in your heart, you need to go and be reconciled to them. You can't just settle, right. You can't just settle and say, you know what? Uh, I don't like them anymore and that's okay. No, you got to be reconciled. You got to go further than that. I think that's really cool. Jesus puts the initiative on the person who's done the wrong here. Um, later in Matthew 18, we'll see that there's initiative if someone's done wrong to you. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault and try to win him, try to reconcile. And so I just appreciate here that Jesus puts the responsibility on both parties. Uh, here he focuses on the one who's done the wrong. But either way, whether we've been hurt or whether we've done the hurting, it ought to be that we, you meet each other on the way <laughs> to see the other person. But I just appreciate here that in each of these sections, Jesus shows that living as a Christian is not just about what you're not doing. It's about what you are supposed to be doing. Right. And a lot of times people think of Christianity as just a bunch of rules. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And that is part of it, but it's so much more than that. And here he says, uh, you know, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court. And I think that's the idea is like, we're all headed to court one day. We're all headed to judgment day. And so work it out with each other on the way there. Um, make it right before you stand before the judge of everything. And uh, otherwise you're going to be handed over to the, to the court. I mean, you don't want that to happen at the end. And so Jesus is using, he, he will several times here use kind of like the final judgment, the final state of things as motivation for like, hey, get this right while you still can. Uh, fix your heart, make it right with your brother. Yeah. I, I also just want to point out in this section too, it's a, it's a longer one for what Jesus is doing here. You see that Jesus is talking about what's happening at the altar. And then you have Jesus talking about what's happening just with your brother. And I think it's really cool to see that those two ideas, they're, they're not cubbyhole, right? They're not just two different things on the shelf. Jesus is saying, if your relationship with God is messed up, that's not good. And if your relationship with brothers messed up, that's not good either. That makes you messed up before God as well. And I think we sometimes try to separate those things. Here's my service to God. And here's my service to other people. And Jesus is taking those two things and putting them together. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's going to be so true of so much of his teaching, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, let's look at the next section here. He's going to do something very similar, but now with the area of adultery. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're picking up in verse 27 through 30. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Yeah. Wow. So Jesus here is addressing something that is from the law. You shall not commit adultery. And obviously we would all agree, bad thing, right? Um, I mean, th- this is still a problem in today's society just as much as it was then. And um, wh- whether people are Christians or not, this is something that wreaks havoc in relationships. And so I appreciate Jesus bringing this up. But I think the part that doesn't get talked about enough in today's society, especially in culture, is the heart of the problem, the root of the issue that Jesus addresses here. And that's what he says to verse 28. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, you know how many times, Stephen, you know, I, I'm working out in the community or working with different people who aren't Christians and men with wives and, you know, all these different people are just looking at women and they've got wives. And a lot of times they'll say, well, you can look, but you can't touch, right? Uh, Have you heard Mm -hmm. that before? You can look, but you can't touch. And that flies in the face of what Jesus is talking about here, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is making it clear that that is not okay. And if we're not careful, we fall into that same trap. We think, well, as long as I'm not physically doing the thing, then I'm good. That's not what Jesus says here. Right. And Jesus equates the, the beginning of it because it all starts with a look, an intentional look. And again, I don't think he's talking here about just something passing through your mind or you look and there's a billboard with something inappropriate on it. it it's, it's looking with intent and saying it's the second glance that you're like, I want to look at that. And that's where adultery starts as it starts in the heart. And Jesus is saying, if, you, if you're looking with the intent to lust after somebody, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Um, God wants purity all the way down. And I'll just say openly, like, this is hard. Um, this has been one of the, the struggles of my life. And learning to follow Jesus's standard is not easy. But let me also say this, that there is a sense in which it's a lot easier to follow Jesus's standard than to try to half follow it or to try to draw the line somewhere else. Because if you allow yourself to lust or you allow yourself to get into tem- tempting situations that could lead to adultery, but you say, ah, I've got it in control. I'll be fine. And, and you go part way. It's a whole lot harder to stop then than if you just stopped back at the point of lust. It says, no, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to think about that. There's a whole lot of marriages that could be saved if we fight the battle way back here at the root rather than waiting till we're in the moment. And I was actually reading an article recently um, and it was actually an atheist quoting. And he was talking about like the problem uh, that you see in the world. And even with like big, big names in the Christian community and that end up having sexual scandals and things like that. And he says, he doesn't, he's not doing it because he believes in God, but he realizes that I think the way he put it is like, the battle is not one at the hotel. It's one at happy hour. 
And it's like, you got to start way back here. And of course, issues even with what he said, but it's the same principle that Jesus is teaching here. We've got to fight the battle in our hearts and learn to control our eyes, control our mind uh, so that we don't get anywhere close to what he's talking about here. Yeah. And I just, it's funny to me, it went around the news for a while, the Mike Pence rule, uh, you know, that Mike Mike Pence always said, well, I'm not alone in a room with another woman. It's just not what he does. And I do appreciate him shedding light on, on a solution to a problem in our culture, but it's really not the Mike Pence rule. It's the Jesus rule. I mean, it (laughs) it comes directly from what the Lord Jesus himself said. And it's common sense. You know, why, why would you put yourself in that situation, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned is what the Proverbs say about this very specific sin as well. And so we, we got to be, we got to be real. We got to be honest with ourselves and we just have to make smart decisions. Uh, don't put ourselves in situations that are going to get us land us in, in a scenario where we could commit uh, adultery or, or sleep with someone that we shouldn't. Because here's the thing. Once Satan convinces you of this lie, well, you, you can just look, but you can't touch. Well, what's the next one? What's the next thing he's going to try and convince you to get to? You know, it doesn't, you don't just find yourself committing an affair one day. It started somewhere with a lie that Satan told you. And it might be, hey, you can look at her, but you can't touch her. Then it goes on a little further from that. And so uh, we'll also just say here, um, Stephen and I, in different formats, um, have talked about pornography and the issues that pornography has plagued our country, our nation, our churches, our children with. And let me just say, this would be a a direct section we can go to, to outright see that pornography and the viewing and consumption of pornography is sinful. And it's something we have to fix in our lives. Yeah. Because that uh, is far more prevalent than touching. And people might say, again, you can look, but you can't touch. That's the premise of pornography and something really important to understand about that is pornography is damaging on so many levels. I mean, we could do a whole other program on this, but that it, it rewires you to think differently about people uh, that they're objects to be used instead of people to be loved. And even our culture is kind of recognizing now that, uh, pornography is just a plague Uh, it affects us in so many ways that we don't even realize and something that's also coming to light is just how much the pornography industry supports sex trafficking and just unspeakable evils that really are tied to slavery essentially and it's just unreal that what you're supporting by looking at that stuff and giving those websites traffic is just we we can't talk about it (laughs) in a public forum like this, it's just terrible. And so Jesus, there's a world of hurt that we can be saved from if we'll follow what Jesus is saying. And, and he uses the strongest terms uh, here in talking about the solution. He says, if, you, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, your right hand. And you might say, well, my right eye is really useful. My right hand is really useful. And I mean, I'm, I talk sometimes with guys struggling with pornography, whatever else it is, so you don't need an internet connection, but you do need to serve the Lord Jesus. And it would be, Jesus says, it would be better to lose something really precious to you than to go to hell and keep that thing. Jesus uses the strongest possible negative motivation here to talk about it's not worth it. It's not worth it to keep something that you know is going to make you stumble. 
Now there's other ways short of getting rid of something that you can, you know, you can get accountability software, filtering software, things like that. Again, lots we could talk about there, but we've got to be willing to take extreme measures uh, in order to do what Jesus said on this. I mean, these are the words of Jesus and we have to let these sink down into our hearts. Yeah. I, I just, it's so important for us to see that the heart is the battleground of the soul. If Satan can just take a hold of our heart, he can get us doing things we would have never thought that we would have ever done. Um, if you'd like to on your own time, I would encourage everyone to read Proverbs 7. It's a really helpful counter chapter to what Jesus is talking about here. Um, and I'm just going to read, I'm just going to sample a few verses from it for everybody. It says that uh, Solomon, he says, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight in the evening in the middle of the night and in the darkness and behold a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart and so in this scenario that solomon is describing for us this naive young man is lurking near the corner of a prostitute and then up comes a prostitute you know, we shouldn't be shocked that that's what happened in that story. And it goes on to detail for us what else happens. And my point, tying it back to what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, is when we're looking at pornography and when we're consuming our heart with all these lustful things, don't be shocked when other evil things show up in our life knocking on our door. That's the natural consequence of what happens. Um, it, it, some of these things can just start off so innocently and we have to be so vigilant to cast those things out, cut off the right hand, as Stephen was talking about. It's better um, that, that that be cut off than our whole body be cast into hell. And if I can just also say, as Stephen well put it too, Jesus is not afraid to talk about hell being a real place. It really bums me out that the word hell is thrown away, thrown around the way that, that it is in our culture today. Um, you know, for whatever reason. And it is not a place to just lightly be joked about. That's what's on the line here, Jesus is saying, if you don't get this under control. Um, and I do want to point that out. Jesus does talk about this as a real place that we can go if we don't get our life right. That's right. And he uses, again, this as motivation to get this out of your life. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that really, I mean, some people look at what Jesus is saying here and say that, that's impossible. Like, how do you, how do you live at that level? And the thing is, Jesus is trying to help us here. Um, he's not just trying to make our lives miserable or give us things that are impossible to do. Jesus offers grace as we try to keep what he's telling us in these verses. And he's trying to save us from the consequences and ultimately the eternal consequences of our sin. And so viewing these statements of Jesus through the lens of his love is really, really important if we're going to un understand them rightly. Jesus is not trying to make our life more difficult. He's actually trying to save us from a far more difficult path that leads to a terrible conclusion. And so uh, seeing these things coming from Jesus and the one who died for us, um, he was willing to give up everything. And so we should be willing to give up anything for him. Amen. So do we want to go ahead and get into the next section, Stephen? You got anything yeah, else on that? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Let's read verses 31 and 32. It says, It was said, whoever sends his wife away, 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. Another very touchy subject in their world and in ours as the subject of divorce. And Jesus here, he starts out by quoting a little bit of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Uh, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And this is actually a little bit uh, of how the Pharisees would have quoted that verse. Um, it was never God's intent to let people just divorce willy-nilly for any old reason. Um, God designed marriage to be permanent. One man, one woman for life. That's what we see with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And here Jesus is really getting back to that ideal and saying, you've heard that. You've heard people use the Old Testament to say, ah, just as long as you make it official and give them a certificate, you just can just divorce for whatever reason. And that's simply not what God wants. It's never what God has wanted. Yeah. And so it he would, says, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it would seem like too, and you could go into everyone that's listening, your own rabbit trail on this. It would seem like the rabbis and the different teachers of the day were kind of teaching this idea of, you know what, just send her a certificate of divorce. That's what the old law says. You know, whatever reason you want, just divorce her. And, and Jesus is really trying to say, okay, that's a gross misapplication of what the law says. Mm -hmm. It's a real misunderstanding. And Jesus has a very strict rule for marriage. Uh, he wants marriage to be permanent. And he says in verse 32, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus says here that, again, adultery is a thing you're trying to avoid. And even though in that culture, people might have said, oh, well, we got a divorce. Jesus is saying, listen, if it wasn't for sexual immorality, then you may end up in adultery here. Um, if you just divorce somebody for any old cause, then like if a guy divorces his wife because she, you know, burn breakfast or whatever he sends her away then it says he could cause her to commit adultery because if she goes off with another guy now she's with someone who's not lawfully her husband so she's she ends up in adultery and he says in that situation the guy that she married whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery and so this is another really high stakes thing uh is that when divorce is done for reasons that are not according to God's word, then people end up in adultery. And that's a, that's a scary thought. And, and even people might end up not realizing they're in adultery because, well, we got the papers, we got the papers done, you know, we, the certificate of divorce and Jesus saying, it's not just about the papers. It's about God's marriage law. What has God said about this? If you want more information about that, there's a longer discussion on divorce over in Matthew chapter 19. Um, verses one and following that you can read more about a discussion that Jesus had with the Pharisees on this. Yeah. And I also point out as well, if you look at Mark's account of this, I believe it's in Mark chapter 10. This is not a gender specific thing. Jesus is talking about here. It does go both ways for both genders. Jesus will use that interchangeably in Mark's account as well. But Stephen, if I can, if we can just look to it, maybe the greater application out of this as well is that we need to honor our marriages and the commitment that we made to one uh, to one another, and ultimately our commitment that we made to one another before God. 
when you commit a sin like this, you're spitting in the face of that commitment. And I think the application we need to pull out of this is to honor our marriage, to honor that commitment that we made, those vows that we made at our marriage ceremony, however many years ago or however many months ago or weeks ago, I don't know who all is listening to this. We've got to honor those things and remember those and put those to the forefront. And so um, that is Jesus's expectation for the marriage. And I think these are some verses that get overlooked a lot. There's a lot of debate as to what divorce is and when we can do it, but we need to be sure we're people who go back and let Jesus's words dictate our marriage. He created marriage. He was there in the beginning at creation. And so he gets to dictate and regulate what our marriage should look like as well. Yeah. And that's a really important point is that, again, God's not trying to make us miserable. He's trying to show us what he wants from us and really what will be what's right in his eyes in the end of things. God created marriage as a beautiful and a good thing. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden together, of course, sin comes in, messes that up. But he's saying, this is what I want. Uh, marriage is holy. You need to protect your marriage. You need to fight for your marriage. And um, there's consequences when we don't do that. Uh, you don't want to end up in adultery. And so this is a, a high standard that God makes. But again, one that he's trying to save us from a lot of heartache by telling us these high standards. I also just say, just connecting these last two, if we're following what Jesus says about lust, it's going to help a whole lot to avoid situations where divorce is coming up um, because we're trying to stay away from sexual immorality. We're trying to be true to our spouse, trying to protect that marriage. And so I think that some of these kind of build on each other as we go through this section of the Sermon on the Mount, certainly lust and divorce is a strong connection there. Yeah. So Lord willing, in the next one, we're going to finish up these last three that Jesus will go through in this section. And It'll focus a lot on our words and not, not specifically what we're saying, but the amount of trust behind what we say, uh, our yes, be yes, our no, no, as well as how we treat other people whenever they do wrong to us will be a focus of the next section as well. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave a rating or a review. Um, if you have questions about what we're talking about, I realize these are some uh, touchy subjects, but if you want to talk more about these things, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949, or drop us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or for more information, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thank you all so much for listening.